Hello, everyone, and welcome back into Frog Insider. I'm Jamie Plunkett. Alongside me is my wonderful co-host, Melissa Trebowasser. We are the TCU podcast for the Republic of Football Network, uh, associated with Dave Campbell's Texas Football. Very excited about that. Um, this is episode number three of this new adventure, Frog's Insider. If you haven't listened to any of our previous episodes, you can find them wherever you find your podcasts, either on the Frog's Insider stream or on the Republic of Football Network stream. Uh, both of those I know for sure are on Spotify and Apple, the two major providers for every podcast basically in the world. So you can find us there. Uh, you can also find mine and Melissa's writing on our Patreon account, patreon.com slash frogsinsider. Uh, a big thank you just off the top here to everybody that has already signed up and is already a, a subscriber. We're very, very grateful for you. Um, very thankful uh, for your patronage of our TCU content. We hope that you felt it's worthwhile to this point. We're going to continue to crank out some really good stuff. Like we mentioned last week at the end of the show as well, we've got some names that are going to be joining us really soon as well. So super looking forward to being able to announce all of that. But Melissa, we've got sports things to talk about now that we've kind of cleared the podcast business area of the show. Um, and I want to start tonight with an article that was written by Bruce Feldman on The Athletic uh, about Chandler Morris and TCU. Yeah, yeah. There, because, there might have been a couple screenshots sent back and forth in the uh, the group message about that one. Yeah, that. so here's the thing. And, and this is where I want to start uh, because, you know, Bruce Feldman sat down with Sonny Dykes and had a long conversation about Chandler Morris. He had a long conversation with Max Duggan about Chandler as well. And the product was this article that essentially said 2023 is Chandler Morris's time to shine. Uh, you need to remember that he beat out Max Duggan in fall camp, that he's ready to play in this new Kendall Browse offense, blah, 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 blah. Uh, a nice, frankly, bit of propaganda from the athletic on behalf of TCU. Yeah. Um, not saying that it's not true, not saying that Chandler Morris isn't ready to be the starter or anything like that, but it was a very pro TCU article. And I'm just, personally not used to that happening yeah my how times stage. have changed right they? um but here's the thing that i kind of wanted to start is you know I, i've already called it propaganda once but because there's a, there's a there's a part in the in the article where sunny says that chandler morris won the job by a mile in fall camp and i before i tell you what i think about that melissa i wanted to hear what was your what's your memory of the quarterback battle from the fall of 2022 well, see, this, this is where it gets really interesting because, you know, you were at pretty much every fall practice um, where I, I was not able to commute in for those on a, on a daily basis. <laughs> but everything we heard, everything we were told by people watching practices, everything we were told by the coaching staff, everything we were hearing from players at press conferences was, oh, neck and neck. Oh, it's going to be really close. Oh, it's going to come down. And if I remember correctly, they didn't even announce Chandler as the starter until like the Thursday before that Friday game, right? Right to the last possible minute. And look, I mean, it, you were, Sonny was in such a unique circumstance in that he had a three-year starter, basically, um, that was returning for a senior season. And I'm sure that there was a part of that that was, hey, I want to protect Max here. I don't want that guy to transfer. You know, that also kind of plays into it at this point as well. Um, but I also don't want to hurt his feelings. He's been super loyal to the program. And so maybe he was overselling how close that competition was. But to have the luxury of being a college football coach in 2023 and just say whatever you want and nobody has any choice to believe it, he could sit he could sit there and say, oh, Chandler won the job by a mile today because it didn't matter what happened then because of the way things played out, right? Oh, the luxury of having the Heisman Trophy runner-up get smoked that badly, apparently, in the fall camp competition um, and lead his team to the national championship game because Chandler Morris won the job by a mile, but got hurt in the, in the third quarter of the, of the opener. Um, what a great position for Sonny Dykes to be in. I tell you, I would, I would love to be able to live my life that way. Um, if TCU is sitting here at, at six and six after last season, you know, if, if Chandler comes back in, you're in a completely different situation, but to be able to go into this season after having tried, I mean, let's call it what it was tried so hard to replace Chandler Morris through the mm. transfer portal this offseason yeah. and say, oh, no, no, that was our guy a year ago. Look, he was he was far and away the winner. It just so happened that Max came in 
after losing that job and played lights out, which gets the fan base and the national media thinking, oh, shoot, this Chandler kid must be even better than that guy. You know, it's 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 the perfect position if you're Sunny Dykes to be in going into year two, coming off of a national championship appearance that nobody ever expected you to be in. Uh, I, I agree. And and I will say this, you know, because I, I like you mentioned, I was at pretty much every spring practice in the fall. I was at most of the spring or every fall camp practice in the fall, every spring practice last spring. The eye test from my perspective was that Chandler Morris was the better quarterback. Right. So I'm not necessarily disagreeing with Sonny there that Chandler had had beaten out Max. That's that's legit. And, and about a week uh, before the Colorado game, we started to hear some rumblings like, all right, Chandler's going to be the guy that finally made that decision. And yes, they announced it the day before the game, but that, that had taken place about a week prior. Um, was he miles better on some days? Yeah. Was he consistently miles better? I wouldn't I wouldn't agree with that. Um, and I think that, you know, to the untrained eye like myself, when Chandler was running with the ones in practice, he looked better than Max. And when Max was running with the ones in practice, he tended to look better than Chandler. So maybe there was a little bit of a product of your surroundings issue there as well, as far as who those guys were playing with on any given day in practice as to who looked better on any given day. But that being said, we knew that Chandler won the, won the job out of, uh, out of camp last uh, fall. I I'm my confusion, I guess, rests in why does that matter now? Right. Like why does that matter in 2023? That's a 2022 storyline to me right now. Chandler Morris is competing against Josh Hoover in camp every day. And Josh has looked really, 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 really good. Chandler has looked incredible. Chandler has looked phenomenal. Josh Hoover has also looked really, really good. So, I mean, is this going to be kind of the annual narrative where, oh, the guy who won, well, if something happens to him, we're going to have to remind everybody that he actually won the job the previous year. Or is that just a carryover from, you know, TCU trying to con- trying to maintain some of this media momentum beyond the national championship. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that has a lot to do with it. I think not just the media momentum, but momentum within the program. I mean, when you think mm-hmm. about what they're replacing on, on offense, which I wrote about in my first and to this day only Patreon article, but more are coming. I promise I'll get my life together at some point. Um, but you know, that, that you're replacing three guys on the offensive line, you know, including a, an all American um, and a, a fifth year starting center who, you know, was kind of the the bridge between Sonny Dykes' SMU offense and his, his new look TCU offense. You're replacing both of your starting running backs, uh, both of whom it looks like now are going to get drafted. Go get yours. Amari DeMarcado couldn't be happier for that guy. You're replacing an all world wide receiver mm-hmm. um, plus two incredibly reliable veteran receivers who you know I mean you could say Tay Barber was the most important receiver for TCU last year um, because he was the one that was consistently out there and made just about every important third down catch during every important second half comeback it seemed right so Mm -hmm. Ben Johnson's the most talented guy in the roster Tay Barber might have been the most important Um, and so you have to not only sell to the national media that TCU was not a flash in a pan, that this is a, this is a program built to be successful and worth your attention and your time for the coming years and, and the age of realignment. You have to sell it to your fan base, which how do you capitalize on this moment of making the national championship, sell more season tickets, get them to continue to buy in when you have kind of made some big swings in the portal and not been able to connect, you know? And, and I think that's the thing. I think that's what really this comes down to. I, we know one thing about Sonny Dykes is that this guy really understands how to play the microphone, mm-hmm. right? He, he, and, and I'm not saying it's not genuine. Like I, I again, this could like, I'm not saying this is a smarmy tactic, but this guy understands the new world of college football in a way that Gary Patterson not only didn't, but didn't have the desire to, right. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, so I think that he's selling that to his fan base. I think he's selling that to his program and he's selling it to Chandler Morris. Mm-hmm. You know, he's building up the confidence of a kid who was healthy enough to come back and just got outplayed by Max Duggan, um, who's a completely different skill set, but but obviously was put together an incredible, you know, once in a generation season. Um, and he's got to sell that to his team and the guys that he's going to have to go portal shopping for is that we've got this kid you can buy into, you know, if you're an offensive lineman, because they're going to need a couple of those. Um, it doesn't help you sell it to, to your potential backup quarterback that comes in. Um, and maybe, maybe they do feel good with Chandler and Josh Hoover as their one and two. But, um, I, I think at this point he's kind of towing a dangerous line because if you're a TCU fan or you're within that program, 
I don't think you feel comfortable with Chandler Morris and Josh Hoover being the only two scholarship QBs on the roster going into fall camp. Yeah, Luke Party is your third string quarterback right now. And I love, and love Luke. Luke. Love Luke. Guy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's really interesting that this narrative is coming at a time where there is kind of a consistent public history of TCU swinging and missing on some quarterbacks. Not only did they lose a commitment from a 2024 kid in Marcos Davila, who ended up committing to Purdue, but they missed out on Sawyer Robertson, who's now at Baylor. They missed out on uh, Walker Howard, the LSU transfer, who's now at Ole Miss who joined three other quarterbacks and transferring yeah. in to that Ole Miss quarterback room. I don't fully understand that unless you're just, you know, thinking about Lane Kiffin Must trying be to collect. Must the money. Uh, Lane Kiffin's just collecting quarterbacks like Infinity yeah. Stones at this point. Doesn't, you know, it's, it's a great thing to do if you just don't want a quarterback playing for an opponent, right? So yeah, just bring right. them onto your team, put them on the bench, whatever. So just stash and Walker Howard away, I suppose. But, uh, you know, they did have House Haney commit last week which was a big deal on thursday for the frogs so they do have another 2024 quarterback in the fold now he is from alito both of his parents were student athletes at tcu and so that's a really good kind of future piece for the horn frogs but the reality is like you mentioned melissa they only have two scholarship guys on the roster right now and morris and hoover and if morris goes down again well, you know what's what's the real backup and, there? and morris has never been able to complete a second consecutive start you know, yeah. like we saw him start against Baylor and get hurt early against Oklahoma. We saw him start against Colorado and get injured early. And, and again, I hate to pin somebody with the injury tag, but he's going to have to prove it. He's going to mm -hmm. have to prove that he can. And he's a lot bigger. You know, he's put on, he said in the Bruce Feldman article, and we've seen that um, through the roster that he's up to 195 now, which is a significant weight gain and, and a good weight gain potentially for a kid at that position. Um, but at the end of the day, if he can't, you know, if he can't make it through the grind of a, a big 12 schedule, TCU could be in a really bad scene. Cause I don't expect Josh Hoover to step in the way that three year starter Max Duggan did and take TCU um, into, and I don't think anybody expects mm -hmm. them to make the playoffs again next year, but to contend for a big 12 title, to be playing meaningful games in November. I think that's kind of what, the, the realistic TCU fan would want to see. And, and probably the expectations within the program are, you know, be, be within a game or two of getting into, into Arlington and the big 12 championship game with three or four games to play. Yeah. I think a top third expectation is not unrealistic for TCU fans on any given, in any given year, mm -hmm. finishing the top four. That's kind of the, the, the expectation every once in a while, rise up, win a title, um, move on, uh, get a, maybe a playoff game, a new year, six game, something like that. Um, to kind of bolster your resume as a program. Um, but I think too, uh, you know, when you start to talk about Chandler, the 25 pounds gained since spring of 2022 is a really big thing to note. Another thing to note is that this offense is going to look a little bit different under Bryles than it did under Garrett Riley. There are going to be a lot more RPOs, a lot more passes out into the flat, a lot of more of those just get the ball out of his hands really quickly, uh, which is what we saw um, Arkansas do pretty successfully for the last three seasons with Bryles there. Um, and I do think that that is a style of offense that tends to protect quarterbacks who might be a little bit more vulnerable to injury. So if the ball's getting out of his hand, he's obviously going to be hit less. If they're moving the pocket around a little bit more, they're going to keep that defensive line from being able to really tee off, which I think is smart when you consider they're replacing all three interior yeah. offensive linemen. So I'm really interested, you know, the spring game is coming up on Friday. And that's one of the things that I'm going to be looking for specifically is how are they adjusting the pocket? What are they asking Chandler to do once that pocket has been moved? And how frequently is he going to be exposed to maybe taking a big hit? Because obviously he's not going to get hit in the spring game, but you'll be able to tell, oh, he probably would have gotten sacked there. He would, he would have gotten laid out there, that kind of thing. So something to, something to kind of pay attention to if you're a TCU fan looking at the spring game coming up on Friday is how are they going to plan to keep Chandler Morris upright for an entire season? Well, and, and to kind of piggyback off of that, and then I'll talk about what some of what I'm uh, looking forward to seeing. I think that in the perfect Kendall Bryles offense, he has a guy that can take a little bit more of a beating, right? He has a bigger quarterback because we've seen him do it, you know, going back to, to RG3 when he wasn't necessarily the play caller, but that's the style he wants. He wants to run his dad's offense, right? He's mm -hmm. got, he's put his only twist in his own, his, uh, his own kind of stamp on it, but ultimately he wants that quarterback that can be a Heisman contender because he can do it with his legs and with his arms. Um, it'll be interesting because I think the biggest thing, um, you know, between uh, what he had at Arkansas and KJ Jefferson, what he has with Chandler Morris is that Jefferson is not nearly the accurate pass to them in an effective way. 
Um, and I don't know that that uh, Kendall Bryles has necessarily played with the quarterback that has that level of accuracy and ability that Chandler Morris does. So maybe he does adjust his offense a little bit and kind of, like you said, run those patterns and, and put them in situations to get the ball out of his hand quickly and get the ball on the move because those are plays that Chandler can certainly make while also protecting him from hopefully taking a big hit that could really kind of derail TCU's whole season. Yeah, and and the thing too about this offense is is that Sonny is going to obviously have a large input as well. Doug Meacham is going to have a large input, and and we know that he's a good offensive mind. And the reality is, as much as maybe TCU fans don't want to hear it, is that Kendall Bryles' dad is going to have some input as well. It's not like he's not going to talk to his dad. It's not like he's yeah. not going to run things by him. And so that is, as much as there might be some some disgust around that specific topic. That it is oh, another oh, look. It's only another from the snowflakes, mind. right? Only, only from, from, only from, from the, snowflakes. the pearl clutchers and the snowflakes, which sure. I've been called a, about a hundred different times. But yeah, you, you and I both, but yeah. hey, we, we live with it and just roll with the punches, I suppose. Yeah. But uh, that is another offensive mind that is going to be contributing to the conversation when you're starting to talk about TCU's offense. What, what, what's if I had if I had to give you is his father, I don't even want to say his name. Is his dad going to be at the spring game sitting in a suite somewhat out of you? Spring game? I don't know. I don't know. I think the once like Texas comes to town. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. When BYU is sure. in town. Yeah. I think yeah. I don't. I think it's unrealistic to expect that the elder Bryles will never show up to a TCU football game while yeah. his son is coaching on the it's staff. Be... Um, gonna, and that's uh, look we could breach that subject right now if we wanted to we don't have to yeah because we we've got a long to, run list yeah we'll do some that other later. good things to talk about yeah. but uh, melissa i've already kind of mentioned what i'm looking for as far as the spring game is concerned what are you kind of uh, hoping to see on friday night i mean i'll tell you offensively the number one thing i want to see is trey sanders uh you just don't i mean tcu has had some really really incredible running backs through the years obviously guys like ladani and tomlinson um you know immediately spring to mind uh you know aaron green uh, uh kyle hicks i mean there have been some great productive running backs that have come through this system we have never seen a kid and, and not even zach evans zach evans is probably the closest comp right but we've never seen a kid step foot on tcu's campus in fort worth that that looks like trey sanders at that position um, just, just the size, the speed, if he's healthy, um, you know, the, the experience of having played in Alabama system, talk about more propaganda. He said that Alabama hmm. and TCU weren't, weren't that far apart. Um, which again, I, maybe uh, the professionalism, I think of both is, is certainly similar, but, uh, yeah, I want to, I want to, he talked about wanting, um, in an, in an interview he did this week, he talked about wanting to be able to showcase his explosiveness that he hadn't felt explosive in the last two years since the car accident that gave him the hip injury he's been dealing with. But if he gets one of those where you see him find a hole, break a, break a tackle and then take off. I mean, that's kind of the thing I want to see is, is that's a special, special talent that TCU has. And I really am looking forward to seeing what he can do. The other thing I'm super excited about is we've kind of heard all spring that the defense is a little bit ahead of the offense, which is what it should be at this point, right? Like you're mm -hmm. turning a lot more pieces defensively than you are offensively. Um, I'm excited to see Demonic Williams at defensive end. Uh, that to me is going to be, it, it doesn't make sense to me and what I can envision with my eyes. And so I'm really excited to see what he looks like coming off the edge. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm excited to see kind of what this new look linebacker core, um, you know, D winners had an unbelievable season, but there is some real speed and athleticism now at linebacker. And then of course, you know, I want to see how the, the competition across from Josh Newton plays out. Um, who's going to be that other starting cornerback and, and what is that tandem going to look like after we had such an elite uh, duo last year? Yeah, so a couple of notes on that. First of all, when I first was told that Dom Williams is moving to the edge, my question was what? Yeah, And then <laughs> the response from the person I was talking to about it said, think about how many tight ends in the country will want to block him. That's such a good point. And I'm like, that's a very fair point because he's fast, he's incredibly strong, and he's going to overpower a lot of those uh, smaller tight ends. Yeah, you uh, cannot you know, shit. You, right, like you're going to have to fully get on him. Uh, time on Mitchell has also been playing a lot of edge as well. So it really seems like under Gillespie in this second year with the defensive line, they're just going to be, a, it might even be a little bit more positionless where you just have three guys out there at any given time asked to do a job, um, which makes them obviously a lot more flexible and makes the offensive lines that they're preparing for um, a little bit more hesitant when making calls pre-snap. Uh, about who their assignments are, that kind of thing. So I like the shift. Uh, I'm also very excited to see that. The other thing is, is it's my understanding that Avery Helm, the Florida transfer, will be the mm. 
will be the cornerback that starts across from Josh Newton. Newton is not practicing this spring right now. He's dealing with a toe issue. Um, he lost a piece of toenail apparently and is regrowing that. So uh, that's fine. Keep him out. Let him get, let more, him get healthy. Get more pedicures, buddy. Whatever. Get, get more, do, care take care of your toes, Josh. Take yeah, care of your toes. Um, but uh, Avery Helm is, is the guy right now. But like they've got a couple good corners that have come yeah. in through the transfer portal and, and this freshman class uh, who I think are going to be be really really good contributors to this defense down the road so uh, it's it's looking like the Alabama comp is still I don't know I think it's a little ridiculous but when you talk about depth and talent it's pretty clear in the first 18 months or so that Sonny Dykes has been here Uh, not even that what like 15 months that Sonny Dykes has been here that he is accumulating talent Mm -hmm. across the board not really I mean there is a lot of talent at quarterback. You're just, the depth isn't quite there, but they are accumulating talent at a lot of other positions. And it's going to be really exciting to see how that plays out in 2023. Yeah. I I'm, you know, I think that we know what spring games are going to look like and we know we're not going to see a whole lot, but it's just, it's going to be fun. This, this team had such a magical season, such a magical run. Mm-hmm. Um, the TC fan base was united in a way that, I mean, I haven't seen since, since I first uh, became part of the frog fam. Um, and then to see how do you build on that? Like that to me is the biggest thing is how do you build on that? If you're Sunny Dykes, like you don't get to drop in year one, moving up to power five after your only power five experience was Cal and take your team to a national championship game. Like that just doesn't happen. And so how do you top that? Um, and, and while I don't think the expectation is to reach that peak again, he's going to have to find a way to to stay relevant in college mm-hmm. football in year two and to prove that he not that he can like we said earlier that he can build a program kind of a la Alabama one thing to yep. collect talent it's another thing to collect it keep it develop it and turn it into winning football games um, because we we saw a lot of talent come through Fort Worth under the previous regime um, in the last couple of years it, it didn't do anything and so Sonny's now these are his guys you know, mm-hmm. this is a lot more his roster. Um, it's, it's you know, Joe Gillespie's guys and, and his positions. It's going to be fascinating to see as they start to play, quote unquote, fake actual football, what that looks like. Uh, yeah, I, I fully agree. And I think the good thing, though, is that a lot of times in college football these days, coaches don't have the runway to fully put their roster together and do development the way they want to. Because he went to the national championship in year one, I feel like Sonny Dykes has kind of earned that runway for himself um i would be shocked even if you say say they rattled three losing seasons off in a row right now i'd be shocked if there wasn't a year four yeah um on the table for him still to try and get things turned around just because of how successful year one was but you know it's a good thing i think to have stability in college football right now uh we've we saw that for 20 years um but you know everything has its downside um, so you got to stay on your toes at all times. Yeah, completely but, agree. Um, but we're, like we said, you know, spring game is happening on Friday at 7 p.m. It is open to the public. Gates open at 6 p.m. So if any Frog fans want to get out there and watch the Frog spring game, it's at Amon G. Carter. 6 p.m. Gates open. Spring game starts at 7 p.m. It's also being televised on ESPN Plus. So you can go and watch it there if you're an out-of-town Frog like Melissa is. So you can still tune in and see the Frogs play. But... We're going to move on now because there's some big basketball news happening uh, th- that broke over the weekend um, and some more stuff going on upcoming this weekend as well. TCU men's hoops has not one, but two portal commits now, now that Assam Mustafa has committed from coastal Carolina. It's a six foot nine big man he listed at six, nine, two fifty, uh, which is almost identical to Xavier Cork. But I'll tell you this, Melissa, I got to meet Assam on Saturday at the TCU baseball game. He is, there's no way he's not bigger than that. There's no way he's not taller than that. I'm six foot three and I was craning my neck to look up at this guy. Um, But he is a big, big, big addition for TCU basketball. Averaged 12.4 points and 10 rebounds a year ago for the Chanticleers in his third season playing for them. He has two years left because he's still got his COVID year and he has uh, his senior year as well. So immediately eligible with two years to play is a really big addition to a TCU roster that simply needed more big men. Yeah. So it's really and, good to see. And the thing I'm really excited about him is that, you know, I think we've, we've talked about Jacoby Coles and uh, Xavier Cork and, and the things that they did offensively, the way they stepped up when, when Lampkin, you know, was either injured or, or had left the team 
Um, but I think uh, that what Mustafa really brings is a more of a defensive presence and more of a defensive mindset too. Um, Cork and Coles are both really gifted offensive players, but but neither one of them consistently could hold up against Big Twelve, you know, fives, right, and fours and fives. And so I think that Mustafa seems to be a little bit willing to get in the paint and, and mix things up a little bit, do the dirty work. Obviously, average double double, so we know that he he can get on the boards. Um, and I think once Lampkin was no longer with the team, and even when he was out injured. That was the biggest thing was that defensive rebounding teams, especially we saw in, you know, in the Gonzaga game, it's just the ability to create second chances on offense um, for their opponent was one of the big things that really did TCU and down the stretch. So uh, super excited to have his size, his ability. And um, there's always a jump, you know, going up from a G5 program to the big 12. Yeah, definitely feels a big need for TCU. Another, another uh, kind of play thing for Tony Benford to get his hands on and really mold. And, you know, when I had a chance to talk to Mustafa, on Saturday, the two things that he mentioned to me that really kind of stood out were first and foremost, that he wanted a bigger challenge um, for his final couple of years of college basketball. He wanted to take that step out of it. He called it st- stepping out of his comfort zone um, and, and really seeing where he stacked up against some of the best in the country at this level. So I'm excited that there's a guy who, who has the confidence to step out and do that, who could have very easily stayed at coastal and probably still been a, a serviceable NBA prospect. Yeah. Um, and so the fact that he wants that extra challenge is, is pretty nice to see. And then the second thing, you know, I asked him three or four different questions about the coaches, about TCU, about his visit, yada, yada. And everything he said to a T came back to culture. And his conversation was, you know, I just love the culture here. It feels like everybody knows everybody and everybody cares about everybody. I want to be a part of that because culture is so important as a foundational piece to winning. And so it seems like he's got his mind on right as far as what he's looking for in a program. And then my final question to him was, hey, do you have any plans to commit soon? Like, what's your timeline? And he kind of smiled and he said, well, I'm supposed to have a couple more visits, but we'll see what my heart says. Hmm. And so at that point on Saturday, I was like, oh, this, this, guy's, this guy's coming to TCU, yeah. um, which is great because he was a huge, huge, huge uh, priority for Jamie Dixon and Tony Benford in the portal. Um, and that's why both of those coaches were with him at the baseball game on Saturday. Awesome. Um, he was not the only prospect in town on Saturday, though. There was another guy from the portal checking out TCU. Trey Tennyson, the guard from Texas A&M Corpus Christi, was on campus taking an official visit as well. He averaged 15.7 points per game last year for the Islanders, um, led them to an NCAA tournament berth where they fell in the play-in game, I believe, um, before yeah. the uh, 16 seed playing game is where they lost. But Tennyson's a bigger guy. He's six foot four, about 210 pounds. So bigger body, um, very capable ball handler, very capable scorer. And with the departure of both Mike Miles and Shahade Wells and PJ Haggerty. So I guess all three of those guys, uh, TCU is needing some guard depth right now. And Tennyson would definitely fill that out. Uh, he recently narrowed down. So post visit to TCU, he's narrowed it down to three schools. He's got BYU, TCU, and Western Kentucky that he's still looking at. He took a visit to Western Kentucky last week. Then he was at TCU. I'm not sure about his plans to visit BYU, but um, either way, it's nice to be top three in that race for uh, a guard who is from Mansfield, by the way. So he grew up playing like 25 miles from from TCU's campus. Um, another guy who is being looked at by the frogs who has them in his top four is another guard. This Primo Spears. We talked about him last week, a little bit too, Melissa, Uh, the guard from Georgetown averaged about 16 points per game last season, uh, about four assists per game as well for a Georgetown team that really struggled, especially in the big East uh, and is now undergoing a coaching change, which I believe is the reason for Primo's uh, transfer. Um, But he is expected to be on campus this week. So He's going to be here in time for the spring game. Hopefully he's going to be able to take that in, uh, visit the facilities, see TCU play some football. Um, TCU baseball will be here as well. I'm sure that they'll get out to a baseball game as well this weekend. So you see the TCU basketball coaches walking around with the tall kid, uh, maybe, maybe say, Hey, and, yeah. and just like, welcome, welcome him to Fort and, Worth. Right. And go frogs. Yeah. Give all the good vibes you possibly can, because like I mentioned a moment ago, TCU needs guard depth and Primo would be an excellent addition. Now I don't know if they're going to be able to take all of these guys that are visiting, because if you do some of the roster management stuff right now, trying to add up scholarships, my best guess is that they have anywhere from two to four scholarships available. The reason I say that is because it's my understanding that Emmanuel Miller will be coming back. And it's also my understanding now that Damian Ball is leaning towards coming back. 
Um, and so first of all, that helps with your guard, your guard question mark is getting ball back an elite distributor and an elite scorer, uh, and a veteran leader leader who can come in and kind of help some other guys get acclimated to the program. Um, but it also takes away a spot from who you're recruiting out of the portal. So yeah. it, depending on when, when ball finally makes that decision, um, you know, I was talking to, uh, Steven shown the SID for basketball over the weekend. And he said, look, I just let them tell me who's on the team in July. And that's when yeah. I put the roster together. Yeah. Cause otherwise I'm right so days. confused. Yeah. But yeah. So, I mean, Melissa, I, I think the thought of Damian Ball and Emmanuel Miller, both returning, uh, gives me a lot more hope going into next season than, than if they were to leave. Um, but I don't know. I mean, it'd be really exciting to get some of these portal guys in here too, and see what they can do. Yeah. I mean, I think Emmanuel Miller is probably the, the one guy that I was like, I think TC's fortunes change dramatically if he leaves, not because necessarily he's the most talented guy you're losing out of that trio, but he's the most versatile and he fills a role that would be really hard to go find in the portal. I think just because he can play multiple positions, he can guard multiple positions. Um, I would love to see him really work on his, his jump shot and his three point shot this summer. Like he's got to be in the gym getting shots up. Um, I think Ba coming back is, is a really good thing. Like you said, um, but, but at some point too, you're kind of like, what do we need? And and hopefully he's another guy that I think is a better three point shooter than we've seen him be at TCU, but that's something he's really going to have to add to his game. If the frogs want to be able to match or, or eclipse their production from this past season. And that's why I think you kind of get antsy about who are they going to get in the portal? Is they are they going to find a guy that can shoot 40% from three? Are they going to find, I still think they need one more big. Um, and, and, you know, you, you have, uh, the kid from Oregon, um, Kalel Ware, um, mm-hmm. who's probably going to end up at Bama. It's what it looks like. That's, that's kind of what I've seen on social as well. Um, but I don't think you necessarily feel good with the um, kind of forward center depth going into the season that TCU has, even um, even if they, even with Mustafa's commitment, um, you know, we, we've seen Caleb Boone is is now um, in, in the portal uh, or about to be in the portal. Um, that would be a kind of another guy that would be mm-hmm. a huge fit. And so if you're only looking at potentially being able to add two guys, wh- which becomes the priority, just trade Tennyson, you know, do you take a chance on on the small school kid that, that can light it up, but is a big guard, or do you, do you value somebody more like uh, Primo, Primo Spears or Avery Anderson who has big 12 experience? And that's, I think Jamie Dixon is going to have some, some tough decisions to make about how he's going to use those final two slots. If he ends mm. up only having two to play with. Yeah. So one of the things that could help dictate that too, Melissa is NIL requests, right? So mm-hmm. Avery Anderson the third is another guy who's expected to be on campus this weekend to take a visit. Uh, averaged over 11 points a game for the Cowboys last year at Oklahoma State. Uh, I've been told that Caleb Boone, his playing mate at Oklahoma State, who you mentioned, is possibly going to be here as well. We'll see if he actually makes it in on campus, but that would be another really good get for Dixon. But uh, what I've been told, and, and this is all kind of hearsay at this point, so take that for what it's worth, but um, my understanding is that the NIL requests for some of these guards are pretty um, – high and so you know if i had to put my order of who i think is most takeable for tcu based on ability slash nil deal slash you know some of those other factors i would say that probably trey tennyson and primo spears are kind of 1a 1b and then avery anderson the third is probably the third option at this point simply because i don't know if he's going to get that level of NIL money that he's wanting from TCU. And, and, and we've seen guards go and take big bucks to transfer. And, and that worked out really well for Miami, right. With Nigel pack taking sure. $800,000 for two seasons. And, but we do not have a John Ruiz. <laughs> we do not have a John Ruiz, not one who's at least willing to step up in that manner. Yeah. Right. We've got a yeah. lot of big donors at TCU, but I think the NIL space is still relatively foreign to uh, to this group of, of folks specifically. So it'll be interesting to see how those visits go. Who's with those visitors uh, for the majority of their stay. You could tell that Mostafa was a huge priority simply because Jamie Dixon and, and Tony Benford were both there with him. That's not to say that Tennyson wasn't a priority because other coaches were with him as well. But you, you know, when you need a big hit, you put your big hitters in the box. Yeah. Right. And so I, I would so hope that we that could, goes. we could beat out, Western Kentucky and BYU. Um, I, I think I would imagine that's probably he I'm assuming he's going to get a guaranteed starting spot at Western Kentucky. And that's why they're in the final three. And, you know, BYU probably has less competition at that position as well, but mm-hmm. you're trying to be a, a draftable guy. You know, you can come to TCU, you can play in that system. That's so guard friendly that Jamie Dixon has kind of morphed into um, and be successful, even if maybe you aren't getting the starter minutes. Yeah, I, I agree. And it's, it's all about fit and and what these guys yeah. want out of their last year or two of college, right? If Tennyson doesn't want to come off the bench, 
I don't blame him for that. And if sure. he feels like he'll get that time at Western Kentucky or BYU, especially if Damian Ball is going to be back in the mix at yeah. guard next year, then then go get your go get your bag, man. Sure. Like Absolutely. go play, go start, do what you need to do. Um, I don't think that Primo Spears has any expectations for what his next role looks like in college, just based on the folks that I've talked to. So yeah. I think he wants I, to I win. I think he wants to win. Yeah. And yeah. and regardless of whether Damian Ball is back or not, I think he's willing to maybe come off the bench yeah. and and um you know have have you know 20 minutes off the bench a game and then all of a sudden you've cut Jameer and Damian's minutes down to 25 instead of 30 to 32 yeah. and now everybody's healthier come turn yeah. time. So totally um, you know depth depth is really helpful in basketball and it makes a ma- major major difference um, over the course of a season, when you see it play out, and in even in the inverse, when you see it play out like it did for TCU with Lampkin leaving um, right before the Big Twelve tournament, you know there was there was a dearth of big men there, and that really hurt TCU in in the postseason. So, uh, getting the most bodies that are capable in is the best and the goal for TCU hoops. And it seems like right now they've got a really good list of guys that they yeah. are they have interested in. Look, if they could rebuild this thing on the fly, um, good for them. Like that's it. I mean, you you don't you lose kind of a generational talent like Mike Miles. If you can still be a tournament team going forward, um, I, I think that's a great situation. Uh, mm. Talking about rebuilding on the fly, let's just, talk let's, about it. Let's talk about just segueing perfectly into uh, into TCU women's basketball and Heck what yes. Mark Campbell is doing in his few short weeks as a member of TCU uh, basketball program. Uh, if you haven't heard, uh, and, and maybe and maybe you aren't following women's basketball closely, but uh, as a TCU fan, because it's been a tough couple of years, but I'm telling you right now, this is the time to start following women's basketball. Um, TCU landed Sedona Price as a uh, as a transfer student. If you don't know who Sedona Price is, you might remember her from the one who posted a TikTok a couple of years ago showing the inequality between the men's uh, weight room and training facility at the NCAA tournament and the women's training facility. And that was kind it's, of her. It's Sedona Prince, by the way. I typed it wrong in the run sheet. Oh, I thought I was like, I thought it was Sedona Prince. Um, I left the off. There we go. Yeah. Okay, good. I was, I was going to say, I was like, I thought it was Prince, but I said, eh, whatever. It's fine. I'm an idiot. It's um, my fault. Blame it's, Jamie. We're, we're all, blame Jamie. Hashtag blame Jamie. Um, uh, so yeah, so she, she kind of had her, her viral moment and was one of the first women's basketball influencers, really. And if we look at everything that's changed in the last couple of years, um, since she kind of brought light to that. It's really uh, was one of the first dominoes to fall in the way that we're seeing women's basketball being talked about and treated. And if you were paying attention last week during the women's national championship, um, that was one of the most watched sporting events of the year and dominated uh, the TV viewing schedule on that day. So um, Prince comes from Liberty Hill. Uh, she uh, she played it as uh, uh, a, fi- a former five star um, McDonald's All-American. She originally committed to Texas when she was in eighth grade. She played for the Longhorns, got hurt um, after during that season, missed that season, uh, went over to Oregon, um, said that, that, you know, for multiple reasons, just kind of fit and training staff disagreements, decided to to go to Oregon. And that's where she uh, got connected to Mark Campbell. Um, she was planning to declare for the draft this year, but pulled her name out and entered the transfer portal, which was a big surprise um, to a lot of people. This is a six foot seven center uh, nine points and four rebounds per game. Uh, she started only 18 of the 30 games, but she's certainly an impact player when she's on the court. But I think for TC women's basketball, what she brings on the court is obviously going to be a big part of that, but it's going to be what she does for this program off the court where I think she has the biggest impact. We're talking about a, a college athlete with like 3 million combined followers between uh, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. She's somebody who has as, almost as many NIL deals um, as any athlete in in sports, um, especially if you look at the women's side, that she has really developed, uh, kind of developed a market for herself and is one of the most recognizable uh, names in the game. And when you think back on TC women's basketball, you know, you've had a couple of kind of big name programs, uh, players, obviously Lauren Hurd is somebody who is recognizable on a, on a bigger area, but to bring somebody in like Prince, who is nationally one of the names and faces associated with women's college basketball as a first year head coach at this level for Mark Campbell. I mean, it's a huge, huge win. It's also such a massive win for TCU in general, just being able to shine a light on a program that's kind of fallen off the last couple of years and elevate that in the national space at a time when women's basketball is really being invested in and has more eyeballs on it than ever. Yeah, I I fully agree. And when you pair her with what was the top 25 recruiting class for TCU this year with Victoria Flores, the guard out of Duncanville, Jade Clark out of Austin, uh, Charlize O'Hieri, 
like this is this is the, you you've got the bones now of something that can be successful and it's you know it, it's a it's a huge credit to Reagan Peebly for putting that recruiting class together uh, and then also a huge credit to Mark Campbell for getting Prince on campus when she could have and and had declared for the NBA, uh, yeah. the WNBA draft. It's going to be really interesting because when you look at, you know, Big 12 women's basketball has been so strong for so long, but this year was a real kind of a down year for the conference as a whole. They only had a couple of teams in the NCAA tournament. I mean, Kansas won the WNIT, which was kind of a crazy thing to think about. But I mean, there, there's been some talent, but the conference isn't as strong as, as it's historically been. So it's a really good time for Campbell to come in, bring in those young, talented pieces, you know, work the portal to bring in some of those bigger names and experienced veterans. And all this guy has done everywhere he's been is win. Um, you know, as, as somebody who lives in Sacramento, when I tell you that Sacramento State women's basketball was one of the worst programs in the country for decades. Uh, mm-hmm. And then he comes in and in two years has them in the NCAA tournament. Like that's kind of, it's, it's a really amazing thing. Um, uh, and shout out to David Patrick, who also has done incredible things with the on the men's side of that basketball program too. But he really revived that moribund program. He's got a chance now with the resources at facility and the support across all levels of administration to do the same thing with the women's basketball program, which right now is has been kind of the only major program that hasn't really enjoyed enormous success. And so if he can kind of catch them up to what the rest of the programs on campus are doing, uh, is a chance to to do something really special in Fort Worth. Yeah, shout out to David Patrick, who's also a former TCU assistant yeah. basketball coach. He was here under um, Jamie Dixon in his first three yeah. years on campus. So shout out to to David. He's he's great, and like you said, yeah. doing great a wonderful dude. thing yeah. up at Sac State. Um, so you know, it's it's great to have Sedona, like you mentioned, for the on court reasons, for the off court reasons, for the brand reasons, for mm-hmm. literally all of the reasons that you could possibly think of to have a player on campus she kind of checks every box and that's, yeah. that's again, just so huge for a program that has, has really struggled over the last couple of seasons since, since COVID. Um, and, and like you mentioned too, the situation could not be better just with the level yeah. of support from Jeremiah Donati on down for every single program that wears TCU across its chest. Like that is, um, that is something that's going to, uh, really, really help Campbell out as he continues yeah. to try and construct this roster. So really good things from, from women's basketball, 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 <laughs> and uh, vibes are We're, high. Yeah, we are doing our best work uh, this Vi- Easter Monday, are, I tell you. Yeah. Vibes are so high. Hey, speaking of high vibes, uh, let's let's transition into the highest of vibes. TCU baseball taking two out of three from Oklahoma State over the weekend. Oklahoma State at the time was number one in the Big 12 top 15 RPI team in the country and TCU on Friday and Saturday in the second and third games of the series pretty much just kind of ran them you know they had a really big eighth inning on, on, in the rubber match on Saturday that broke that game open they won it 12 to 5 uh, but they maintained they held and maintained the lead pretty pretty much throughout those two games um, and uh, the, the bullpen was excellent. The freshmen were excellent. Yeah, and Kirk Sarlos. So good. Kirk Sarlos was in a much, much better mood than he was a weekend you ago yeah. after, after losing two out of three in Lubbock. But, you know, it's been an up and down season for baseball. They've had some losing streaks, had some winning streaks. Right now, as it stands, though, TCU baseball is tied for second in the Big 12 with Oklahoma State. They both have seven and five records. They're a game and a half behind Texas, who's six and three in conference play. And they have four weekends of conference baseball left. So this, this team is in oh, an excellent position down the stretch to not only challenge for, but potentially win the regular season in the Big 12 for the second consecutive year. And this is also the second sec- consecutive year under Kirk Sarlos where throughout the season there has been a lot of questioning and, and disagreeing with lineup decisions, with rotation decisions, with bullpen choices that he's made, maybe leaving guys in a little bit too long, hitting yeah. guys in certain spots when maybe other guys should be getting a chance. And yet, you know, despite all of that criticism, he just has the team in, in position to maybe win a second straight regular season title. So shout out to Kirk Sarlos for uh, ignoring the haters and yeah. just doing what he knows is best for the baseball program. I mean, how confounding is this team though? I tell you, like <laughs> they, it is as talented a roster as you're going to find. It's young talent. We talked mm-hmm. about that last week. Um, but when you watch them play 
nobody is having more fun than TCU baseball this year. Yeah. I mean, especially when they're out in front, when they're winning and there've been a couple games where it's obvious that they weren't having a good time, but when they're at their best, it's because like you said, the vibes are are high, the vibes are immaculate. And, you know, watching Elijah Nunez who had the huge hit um, on Saturday and the way that he reacted, you know, like after getting the hit, at, you know, just the way he is around the team, the way that he kind of sets the tone. I mean, having him healthy, I think is a huge part of that. But but you have so many guys that have such great attitudes on the baseball field right now. You have a couple that still seem like maybe they haven't fully bought in. But for the most part, this is a team um, that when it's playing well, is doing so because they're playing loose. They're they're playing free. They they are having fun with each other. They seem to genuinely like each other. And that's one thing I think is so different than it was under um, Schlossnagel is that I think Kirk Sarlis wants that that dugout to be a little lighter. You know, mm-hmm. it's not kind of, you're not afraid to make a mistake. You're still going to get chewed if you do, but it's more about kind of keeping guys loose, keeping guys like keeping them bought in. Um, and when they're having fun, this team, you know, and like uh, you had that great uh, quote that you posted, the video you posted with Nunez after when TC was playing like that, when they're playing like they're capable of playing, there's not a more talented team in the big 12. It's just, can they consistently play like that against good teams at home and on the road? And when you look at the remaining schedule, You've still got West Virginia, which is ranked and playing really, really good baseball. Just lost a weekend series to Kansas, though. They did just lose a weekend series to Kansas, but to that point had been playing really good baseball. Top 30 RPI, very good baseball program. Yeah. And then you've got Texas, which is, you know, has been kind of the the odds on favorite to win the conference going into the season has been inconsistent as well. But again, no, no dearth of talent down in Austin. So going to be interesting to see if they can if, if this is finally the series win that gets them rolling for a consistent period and getting a break against UNC Wil- Wilmington maybe helps you kind of keep your confidence up but there's still a lot of questions to answer especially when it comes to the pitching staff and I know something you wanted to talk about is there have been some some consistent changes with who's going to be the Friday night starter I'd be really interested for your insight on that because you know it was it's been Ryan Vanderheide it wasn't him um, this past weekend, uh, they gave it over to, I just, I just lost the name. Chase Hoover. Chase. Yes. Chase Hoover. Thank you. Um, and he didn't necessarily perform up to the level of a Friday night starter. You've got Cole Klecker who has been just outstanding. Um, do you move him as a true freshman into that spot? What do you think? Who do you think we, you expect to see the next time TCU plays a big 12 series, who's going to be on the bump Friday night? You know, I, I don't know about, the next big 12 series. Cause it's so there's so much time between now and then, but I, I think chase Hoover probably gets another go this Friday against UNC yeah. Wilmington. Okay. Um, I don't think it would be fair to a true freshman to roll him out for one weekend start on a very unique Thursday night, instead of yeah. a Friday night, first of all, on a night where it's a little bit colder. And for some godforsaken reason, the wind is actually blowing out to right center yeah. in Lefton stadium, which may, never happens, you know, it is a it is a pitcher's park most of the time, but when the wind starts to shift just a little bit, that becomes a very hitter friendly ballpark, and we saw that on Thursday night with Oklahoma yeah. State hitting five home runs. So, I think I think the message to Chase is, you know, throw strikes, don't throw those kinds of strikes. Yeah. Um. And and execute your pitches one pitch at a time. He's a talented kid. We've seen him do do some really cool things on the mound this year, and so I would be a little surprised if he didn't get a second chance at that Friday starter gig. If it wasn't him, my assumption is that it's going to be Sam Stoutenborough. He's given up one run He's in his last great. five bullpen appearances, a wonderful talent to have out of the bullpen. But when you consider that they're getting Luke Savage back really soon, uh, Hunter Hugh- Hunter Hodges is is back now uh, and pitching out of the, the back end of the bullpen. Garrett Wright is healthy again. Oh. River, River Can- Ridings is figuring things out. Like yeah. the bullpen depth is getting to a point where you can probably afford to move someone out of there, take one of your long relievers and try them on Friday. Can we just talk about Garrett Wright a little bit um, and just how he's looked? You know, he kind of worked his Heck way back yeah. from injury. It's a little bit shaky, um, his first couple of appearances, but you know, he he took the took the bump twice against Oklahoma State, and especially in that uh that that finale on Saturday. I mean, that's the Garrett Wright that I think we all expected to see this season. He looks healthy, he looks confident, he's throwing strikes and Man, some of some of the pitches that he's throwing just defy the laws of physics. I mean, things mm-hmm. that he, he is making really good hitters look really, really stupid in the batter's box. And that is such a great thing to see. It really is. And and, and the struggle with him, same, 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 same issue with with Rivers, same with Sam Stoutenborough to to an extent, is just control your pitches, understand yeah. where they're going. Ryan Vanderhey kind of falls into this category too. You've got excellent stuff. Now it's about executing your pitches, yeah. throwing them where you want them understanding you know 
situational baseball when you want a guy to maybe hit a ground ball when you when you need a strikeout um and not trying to not trying to do too much no i had a chance to talk to ryan on thursday because he came in in relief of hoover and, and pitched three scoreless innings looked pretty good struck out three also walked three but the control was much better than it had been uh, in recent friday starts uh and he, you know he kind of reiterated a message from from sarlos that i'm assuming is a message all of the bullpen guys have which is one pitch at a time yeah don't get don't get too far outside your own body don't start to think too much about down the road execute one pitch then execute another pitch then execute another pitch and approach the game that way simplify 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 ultimately was the message from sarlos to some of these arms and if they do that while they're getting all of these guys back healthy again this is going to be a very talented pitching staff and bullpen that can win baseball games for the frogs we saw that earlier in the season when the runs weren't coming the runs are here now can you put it all together and have the pitching that you need have the hitting that you need and i'd be very remiss if we didn't talk about defense at all because the horn frogs have played excellent excellent defense over the last three or so weeks as well and we saw trey richardson and anthony silva oh, absolutely dominate up the middle for the frogs this weekend they made play after play after play the most impressive one to be was the double play they turned on a hit and run, yeah. which happened on Friday night. Um, hard hit ground ball back up the middle to Silva, who flips it over to Richardson, who gets it over to first base to Fontenelle and beats the runner. And it was just a phenomenal play. It ended a scoring threat for Oklahoma State, kept the Frogs in the lead. And really that moment kind of sucked the rest of the life out of Oklahoma yeah. State for the weekend. So well, shout, out, shout out to all the Frogs who, who played incredible yeah. baseball this weekend. You talk about Anthony Silva, you talk about potentially, you know, having two two weekend starters that are freshmen. Um, but what Silva is doing now that he's, you know, he came back from that and missing some time with an injury himself. But you could tell that, that this is the kid that we were all told, like that was so hyped mm -hmm. up, right? That was was a one of the top MLB prospects coming out of high school is the kid that easily could have gone to the draft, but chose to go to college. Um, and he certainly looks the part of a superstar. A freshman shortstop should not make things look as easy as he makes them. And and yes. Trey Richardson was like, I mean, Trey Richardson, I think had had like five consecutive outs on on Saturday, something like that. He was unbelievable. You expect that from your veteran guy who's taken a ton of reps that position. But Silva just goes out there and just does things that 18, 19 year old kids should not do. Yes. And oh, by the way, he also is eight for his last 13. He had two home runs. Uh, scored five runs, knocked in five runs uh, on a, as you pointed out in our run sheet on a 13 game hitting streak. Um, this is a special, special talent. And it's going to be interesting because I think as you get into April and you turn the calendar to May, a lot of freshmen start hitting the wall. That's when high school seasons start to end. Um, and so it's going to be really interesting to see if some of these guys can kind of push through the mental block and the physical block. And I guess maybe that's where you're kind of thankful that a, you're getting some of these veteran guys back at the bullpen to help with some of those mm -hmm. freshman pitchers. But then also some of these, these young freshman players, um, you know, weren't starters at the beginning of the season um, or missed some time in the middle of the season. And so maybe they don't have quite the wear and tear that you would normally have this time of year. Yeah. And, and, you know, this, this time of year too, for some of these guys like Silva and Carson Bowen behind the plate, uh, Klecker and Hoover and, and Rodriguez, who also didn't pitch this weekend because he's dealing with something pretty minor. They're hoping to have him back soon, right? All of these freshmen that you've seen give you substantial innings, either at the plate, in the field, or on the mound. Sarlo said this on, on Saturday. He's like, they're not really freshmen anymore. Right now, you're yeah. kind of hoping at this point in the season that they're playing more like sophomores or juniors. Uh, and we're seeing that pretty much across the board yeah. every time a freshman gets in the game they're performing I, I, we'd be really remiss if we didn't mention ben abelt as well yeah. who came in on friday night after klecker's seven inning just beauty of a performance and just threw two no-hit innings and struck out three yeah. and, and just kind of slammed the door on like he Oklahoma looks like State. he's 30 with you know like he that dude looks like he's 30 with with the beard Look, so i don't think of him as a freshman you know it's true and here's the thing this is what's wild is in conversations with sarlos and some of the other folks around the program the comps that they are giving some of these freshmen are ridiculous. So this weekend alone, Carson Bowen earned an Evan Scout comp. Wow. Anthony Silva earned a Keaton Jones comp. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, okay, just right out of the gate, that's insane. Ryan Vanderhey earned a Tyler Alexander comp mm -hmm. for the way that Tyler in his two years here at TCU always started in the weekend rotation, struggled, moved to the bullpen for a little bit, figured it out, and then came back into the weekend rotation by the end of the year. He's now pitching for the Tigers. He struck out nine yeah. in a row the other day. Jeez. No big deal. Ben Abelt already got the Lodolo comp. And wow. so 
you know, who just, you know, Nick Lodolo just leading the MLB in yes. strikeouts right now. He had 12 in his start the other day that the Reds somehow managed to find a way to lose okay. once he came out of the because game. Because the but, Reds, yeah. Because Cincinnati doing Cincinnati things. But those aren't things that I was hearing from the folks around the program last year as far as, oh, yeah, this guy's great because of X, Y, and Z, and this is kind of who we're thinking of. And these are all unprompted comps, by the yeah. way. It's not like I'm saying, hey, who do you think these guys compare to? They're all giving me these freely. And that, that speaks to a couple different things. It speaks to the overall talent of the freshman, which is pretty much abundantly clear at this point. And it speaks to the, the confidence that the staff and the older, older players already have in these kids coming in back in July, doing things the right way from day one. And now we're seeing the results on the field. It's just a, it's a really cool thing to see um, from a young, talented group. Yeah. And, you know, as Kirk Sarlo said, it's going to help us this year. It's going to help us in the next couple of years. We just got to keep surrounding these kids with more talent. Yeah, a lot of maturity and a lot of talent on with that group. It's it's going to be fun to watch them develop. And hey, you know, maybe maybe they they're peaking at the right time. That's that's all you can hope for. Mm-hmm. You, you really do. They so they go to uh, Abilene Christian on Tuesday. That's their weekend or midweek game this week. Then they host UNC Wilmington in Fort Worth this upcoming weekend. Hunter Hodges, former team, comes to town. Um, it will be interesting to see if he gets up and running fully out of the bullpen by that weekend so that he can he can pitch against his former uh teammates a little bit more that'd be a nice thing to see uh for his first real real kind of um debut for for the frogs so look it's like i said last episode though there was no reason to panic just because of a weird weekend in lubbock and the frogs came back and they've won three out of the last four uh with the potential to go on a really good winning streak here yeah Huge, huge series win against Oklahoma State. Huge. That's, I mean, that's just a massive, massive uh, series win to take. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I think we're going to wrap up here, uh, but we would be remiss if we didn't once again shout out TCU Beach Volleyball. Holy cow. Still number one in the country, 28 and 0, absolutely slaughtering everybody. It's unfair what these women are doing to their opponents. They have, I, I don't know, and I, I didn't check in on the their last most recent match, but I think they had a, a nine consecutive win streak of not even dropping a match. I believe that's correct. Yeah, like they, they haven't even, they're not even, uh, oh yeah, sweep, a, a nine consecutive, nine week, nine sweep streak um, that they had on senior day. So throw in two more, another S in there, but uh, just an unbelievable, uh, and, and as I keep talking to people about TCU beach volleyball, they keep going, but but TCU doesn't have a beach. Like it's, it's hilarious to me that they're just destroying all of these uh, beach laden programs um, and just not even just embarrassing them. I mean, it's just, it's absolutely humiliating um, Team, what they are doing to yeah. teams in the best possible way. Teams from Florida are going to stop, stop coming here pretty soon with the way that yeah. they've treated them. Not a lot of hospitality from the beach volleyball no, ladies, not, not at to all the, to what they're doing to these opponents, but super, super rude. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. And Hey, I'll tell you this, like because of the location of their courts on campus right there by the rec center, kind of right square in the middle of everything that's going on. They have incredible attendance. Some of the, some of the best kind of atmospheres that I've seen at a TCU sporting event are out at beach volleyball. So if you haven't gone to one, get out there and go watch them play because they're the number one team in the country. First of all, second of all, they're your TCU beach volleyball team. So you should support them no matter what. And third vibes are very high. Yeah. Vibes vibes are are high. high. They're going to have a really interesting weekend uh, coming up this weekend. They're going to travel out to one of the best college towns in the country, the lovely San Luis Obispo down in SoCal, home of Cal Poly Slow, um, Go uh, Mustangs, I think. Uh, But they're not only going to face Cal Poly while they're down there, they're also going to face two of the programs that are kind of synonymous with the sport of women's beach volleyball at UCLA and Pepperdine. That's going to close out their regular season. Um, they have a chance to to run that um, season record to to thirty one or thirty one and zero. Yeah, they're twenty eight mm-hmm. and zero now to run it thirty one and zero. I'm um, heading into the postseason tournament. Um, if UCLA is you know again one of the kind of the elite programs in the country historically, it's another good program this year. If they can run through that um, and and head into the postseason tournament, you're you're looking at uh, you know I think your odds on favorite to to bring home a national championship for the Horn Frogs, which would be. Again, a landlocked school winning a, a beach volleyball national championship would be pretty fun to see. It'd be pretty cool. And with the way their season ended last year, falling in the yeah. semifinals, uh, didn't have their best volleyball when it mattered most last year. You know that that's that's been in the back of, of these for people, sure. these these ladies' minds for the last last year now, and they're ready to get after it uh, and bring a title home to Fort Worth. So very excited for them. Congrats to the season they've had so far, and hopefully they can 
they can finish that one out the way everyone almost expects them to at this yeah, point. It's weird right? to, is this what Alabama feels like in football? Yeah, is this what Georgia feels so. like in football? Just you yeah. expect it. And when it doesn't happen, you're more surprised. That it's surprised. Yeah. Maybe. Man. Yeah. All right. We'll, well see. we will see. That'll do it though for this episode of Frogs Insider. Uh, for Melissa Trebwasser, I am Jamie Plunkett. We will be back next week on our regular Monday. Thanks for being patient with us as we celebrated the holiday weekend with our families. But back again next Monday for uh, another episode. You can find us again on Spotify, Apple, anywhere you get your podcasts, both on the Frogs Insider feed as well as the Republic of Football Network feed for Dave Campbell's Texas Football. Um, next week, we'll have a recap of the spring game, kind of finishing up all of our spring football content at that point. Might have another commitment or two. We'll, we'll talk about how those uh, visits go for TCU basketball. And, you know, hopefully TCU baseball will have strung together a little bit of a winning streak. So make sure that you follow us. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Frog Preacher. Melissa's on Twitter at the Coach Melissa. Check in uh, at the Patreon, patreon.com slash Frogs Insider for written content throughout the week from both of us. And maybe a fun announcement or two coming up this week as well. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. We hope you'll listen again next week. And we'll talk to you next time. Go Frogs. Go Frogs.